emoción. Bienvenidos a Café con Emoción podcast. You are listening to season two with your co-host Xiomara Romero and Alejandra Acuña. Café con Emoción as a public service is neither a legal or mental health service or advice reference to any products or entities do not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. You may follow us on Instagram at Café con Emoción Podcast. In this episode, you'll be learning more about your co-host and the lenses we are utilizing. I acknowledge that my lenses have been shaped by my experiences of privilege and oppression. My identity as a cisgender Colombian immigrant, daughter of Colombian immigrants, my mother was a social worker in Colombia, and my father a student activist in the 80s. Their humanitarian spirit that they have passed on is one of my strengths. I am a granddaughter of Chipcha and Spaniard descendants. I'm a wife to my life partner, a feminist at heart. I am a mother of two school-aged boys, Mi Luna and Mi Sol. Creating secure attachments is another one of my strengths. I am a master-level clinician working in an academic setting and in private practice and consulting with nonprofits. Passion in my work is another one of my strengths. These identities influence and potentially bias my understanding and outlook of the world and my opinions and ways of expressing myself on this podcast. My training, professional experiences have given me the privilege of working with many families and my life experiences may help me or sometimes hinder me in what I may or may not see in the conversations we'll be having on this podcast. There is this notion that if we do enough work on ourselves to heal our generational wounds, go to therapy, do all the work possible, read every book and article out there that we can be an unbiased individual, recognizing all triggers and blind spots. While I'm a big advocate for self-improvement and have done my own work going to therapy, I recognize that I could still have these biases shaped by my work and my personal experiences and yet still strive for self-improvements. I can have both. I recognize that my healing, learning, and awareness is continuously evolving and through my life processes will continue to be altered. Often in my clinical work of doing EMDR, a trauma treatment modality, I will remind my clients that even after the work they have done, if something gets re-triggered or needs to be reprocessed, it does not negate all their efforts or work that they have done. It's just that their lens is opening up a new door that may need to be processed possibly by where they're at in their life. Thank you so much for you listeners for making this possible. And I'll pass it over to Alejandra. Thank you so much, Xiomara, for that. And thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to co-host season two of Café con Emoción. I also wanna share some things about myself in this first episode as an introduction and foundation for season two. So I'd like to talk about who I am and why I'm here, my positionality and location of self. But first, I have to explain why I introduce myself in this way. There's an article I read by Watts Jones titled Location of Self, Opening the Door to Dialogue on Intersectionality in the Therapy Process. In the article, Watts Jones describes how she introduces her location of self as a therapist to clients 
but also as a supervisor to trainees. And this is what she says verbatim. I'm gonna read what she says verbatim. I'd like to share a bit about myself. I do this because I believe that my training is only one of the lenses that helps me to understand and work with problems and families. My personal experiences also inform my vision, what I see and don't see. And so I like to think about how my personal identities might be helpful or a limitation in our work together and get your thoughts about this. I think it's important to be able to talk about this now and throughout therapy if either of us thinks we may have hit a roadblock or pothole related to this. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So in that spirit, I'm going to share some of my identities with you in an act of purposeful vulnerability. I know um, when I first started doing this, I was like, man, that's a lot of self-disclosure. Is this appropriate? I'm not used to this. But when it's purposeful, when it's laid out the way that Watts Jones lays it out, it makes so much sense to do it. So I'm going to start this conversation about how my identities inform my vision, what I see and what I don't see, and how that impacts my understanding of the topics we're gonna to cover in the season. I'm an associate professor of social work. I also consult with community-based organizations providing training and evaluation. I'm Chicana, cisgender, and currently able-bodied, born and raised in East Los Angeles, which is Tongva territory. I was adopted by immigrant parents from Northern Mexico. Spirituality is my number one resilience factor. I was raised Pentecostal Christian, and now I incorporate shamanism and other indigenous practices like transcendental meditation. I'm 53 years old. According to the Mexica calendar, at 52, one becomes an elder. 52 is a year of transformation. My mom, Maria Irene Campos Cardona Jr., was born in Chihuahua, Mexico, where people are known to be very frank and straightforward. Como decía mi mamá, like my mother used to say, no tengo pelos en la lengua. I don't have hair on my tongue. <laughs> I speak freely. I could talk to her about anything. My mom was a force of nature. I sometimes called her bruja, which means witch in Spanish, because she seemed to have supernatural powers. She liked it when I called her that. Her humor was one of my resilience factors. My ACEs score. So ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences from ages zero to 18. And our score is the number of adverse childhood experiences we've had. So my ACEs score is six out of 10. Perseverance is one of my resilience factors. I attended LAUSD schools from pre-K to 12th grade. I graduated from Roosevelt High School in East LA in 1985 at the age of 16. Love of learning is one of my resilience factors. I earned a BA in biology in 1989 at age 20, an MSW in 1996 from UC Berkeley at age 27, and a PhD in 2015 from UCLA at age 46. Optimism is one of my resilience factors. I separated and divorced in 2012 while in my third year of the PhD program. I juggled part-time jobs to pay the mortgage and bills. I graduated two years later. Independence and flexibility are some of my resilience factors. I have a 20-year-old daughter who is a junior at NYU and a dramatic writing major. It is my joy to love her. She has taught me what I needed to learn about empathy and understanding. 
I recently discovered my biological paternal great-grandmother, Maria Nieves Corona Calderon, born in 1874 in Carizal, Almada, Chihuahua. I learned that she was a Taromara and medicine woman. Latin American indigenous spirituality is one of my research interests. I have over 30 years of experience working in health and human services. Service is one of my resilience factors. So after laying all of those identities, my question for reflection is, how do my risk and resilience factors and all my identities inform my vision and perspective? What I see and what I don't see. There are things I know and there are things I don't even know that I don't know. So I humbly offer my take on things in this season of Café con Emoción. I'd also like to take a moment to reflect on how it feels to have a co-host with my identities and perspectives, because studies repeatedly show that students, as an example, are biased against racial minorities and female professors in their evaluations. Women and instructors of color are systematically rated lower in their teaching evaluations than white men even when there are no actual differences in the instruction or in what students have learned. This tells us that we can be influenced by unconscious and unintentional biases about the race and gender, for example, of guests and co-hosts. I think we're good students of our families and society and unconscious bias gets in and runs deep, but we can endeavor to make the unconscious conscious. In this next segment, you'll be hearing about your co-host definition of resiliency. So I was wondering if we could spend a little bit time on just some of the narratives we hear out there. For instance, I had a colleague, um, a professor in the psychology department, and his impression was that resilience was an individual trait. Hmm. So I could see where, shoot, you either have it or you don't, you're either born with it or you're not that can be very doom and gloom. Mm. And so I think that people are responding to the idea of if you're putting the responsibility of being resilient on just me, mm -hmm. then what about the policies? What about the institutions? What about history? What about all the other factors mm -hmm. that weigh in on our lives? And so I think people have been responding to that, the uh, idea or the impression that resilience is about an individual trait. I also see that people are starting to use resilience to, um, I don't know, almost to tell people that they should be resilient. And I feel mm -hmm. like, first of all, we don't tell people what they should or shouldn't do or should right. or shouldn't feel or should or shouldn't think. Mm -hmm. But I think there's this... Um, people are trying to shortcut it and trying to be like, well, you don't need funding, you know, you're resilient, or we don't need to address this issue because, you know, kids are resilient, they're going to be okay. And uh, resilience is definitely not a phenomenon that was studied so that the powers that be could keep people down. That's definitely not the purpose of mm -hmm. the understanding that we have of resilience. And when I talked to my daughter, who's um, Gen Z, she's 20, she was saying, you know, mom, I feel like our generation is like, you guys did not figure this out. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've got some serious problems. So whatever thinking 
that led to the current state of things, maybe it's not working. Hmm. And so when she put it to me like that, I thought, okay, well, you got a valid point there, girl. (laughs) (laughs) It does have a very valid point in how we're all going to connect to the word and, and the definition differently. And it may have to do with just kind of our our cultural experience or the historic events that one has experienced, that's going to shape that connection and in, in our definitions. You know, if we think about some of the collective differences amongst uh, the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, you know, there's been different experiences. Um, if we just focus on the differences between Y and Z, Y had the first exposure to the World Wide Web, uh, 9-11 and Great Recession. So some of the defining culture events are different for Gen Z, right? So there's been more of like the development of social media, different ways of interacting, connecting, um, the Me Too movements, Black Lives Matter, Free P- Palestine, um, focus on the climate change. And then now, you know, a big part of their milestones being um, impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So, uh, you know, she definitely had a point that we're all going to connect to this word of resiliency differently. Yeah, I hate to give it to her, but yeah, she teaches me a few things. <laughs> I was wondering, could share your definition of resiliency? What does it mean to you? Well, thank you for asking, Siomana. I'm actually really excited to get to talk about a topic and phenomenon that I'm super passionate about. And I just want to say that I share my understanding and story about resilience with the intention to offer hope and inspiration. Uh, I'm not coming at it from an academic or theoretic point of view, because I think it's resilience has meant so much to me that it's something that brings my heart and mind together. So when I talk about it, I'm really talking about it from my mind and from my heart. And the reason I think it's so important is that in our lifetime, we, meaning all of us, inevitably face some form of adversity. And the process of positively adapting to adversity is known as resilience. So resilience is not, capital N, capital O, capital T, is not an innate attribute or trait although it's perceived that way sometimes. In fact, it's best described as a dynamic, adaptive, and ongoing process. So it's not a trait, but a process. And I think this is really important. And maybe early on in resilience research, when research didn't know, what are we looking at here? Is this, are some kids just born able to better adapt? And so there might have been a question in early resilience research, but the jury's pretty much done. Conclusion is that it's not a trait. Mm -hmm. It's very much a process. And we know some very important factors that are involved. And so I want to just spell out the four components of what makes up this concept, this phenomenon, this dynamic phenomenon of resilience. One is there's got to be risk. And so we're not resilient without risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we're talking about risk, we're talking about a stressor or a vulnerability of some sort, adversity, toxic stress, historical trauma, including discrimination, racial trauma, poverty, et cetera. And often what we find in life is that it's not any one thing. These Mm -hmm. risks often Mm co-occur. And so first there's risk. Or trauma. A second component of resilience 
is protective factors. And protective factors are found both at the individual level and at the environmental level, both. So at the individual level, we're talking strengths, talents, assets, resources, personal characteristics. And at the environmental level, we're talking about connectedness to a parent or caregiver, family cohesion and warmth, secure attachment relationships, um, peer support, school support, community support, uh, community infrastructure, policies, laws, um, community safety. So you have the risk on the one hand, and then you have all of these buffers, these protective factors, both internally, personally, and in your environment. Mm -hmm. And they all work together to develop some sort of, create some sort of outcome which if we're talking resilience is adaptation or competence or growth or thriving or post-traumatic growth. So when we talk about resilience, we're really talking about at least four concepts. And sometimes I feel like when people talk about resilience, they're talking about one part of resilience, which is the, the risk part or the um, outcome part. Talk about resilience, unless I'm talking about all four, meaning that we all experience some sort of adversity in our lives, and we hopefully get to the point where we're thriving or adapting or overcoming. But in between there is really stuff that comes from inside, but also that comes from our environment, meaning that there are people, there are communities, there are institutions and infrastructures that make it possible for us to recover and cope and overcome. And what I wanted to say is that, for example, social justice is so important to resilience because that's an external protective factor. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with trauma over and over again, not burn out, not fall apart? Well, that's why we need social justice so that we don't have to keep overcoming the risk. And so I, I love talking about this because beautiful concept. It's that stuff can happen to us and it does. Mm -hmm. And there's things inside that we have. And sometimes it's, it's hope. Sometimes it's rage. Sometimes it's like, this thing isn't going to take me down. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes it's, I know for my daughter, it's like when, when she felt bullied, I was like, oh, not on my watch, you know, like not my baby girl, like the, mm. the mama bear came out in me and, and and I made sure she was okay. Mm. And so sometimes it comes from inside. Sometimes it comes from the people that love us. Sometimes it's the teachers, it's the principals, it's the schools. Sometimes it's the extended family. Like when, when she was being bullied, like I posted it on Facebook and all my friends were like, oh, heck no. Like, <laughs> you know, we're not going to let that go down. And mm -hmm. so sometimes your community rallies. And always, always, because I, I think this way, I tell my daughter, we have ancestors. We have mm -hmm. 50,000 years of ancestors who have got her back. So when you walk to school, when you're out in the world, and she's in New York right now, because um, when you create a secure base, they go far. Mm -hmm. So I tell her, you're not alone out there. Right. You have 50,000 years of ancestors who have got your back. So as you walk in that big city, your ancestors have got your back. That's what I love talking about resilience, because I've heard people say like, oh, resilience is exhausting, or I'm tired of being resilient, or I'm tired of being called resilient. 
And I just think like, wait, are we talking about the same phenomenon? And obviously there can be many definitions, many stories about resilience and they're all valid. But my understanding, my lived experience, my research of resilience is in order for us to be resilient, like we need to be safe. Mm -hmm. We need to be supported. We have strategies inside us, but also we have support and buffering in the people and in the conditions around us. But for me, being resilient meant like, sometimes it meant like, I got to take more naps because this is too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, or I got to call on, there was one time I was actually, I was going through my divorce and it got really dark and scary. And I literally texted from my phone, 30 women. Like I looked through my contacts and I found 30 women who I just knew were spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I knew that all I had to do was say, please pray <laughs> mm-hmm. and that they would be on it. And so, so for me, it's like, I needed to call on my 30 spiritual women, pray for me as I was going through this really dark time. So I think of myself as pretty chingona or badass. Mm-hmm. At least I've been called that sometimes <laughs> and I'll own it. I'll take it. But also I don't walk this world alone. I very much am grateful for the laws that protect me as a woman, as well as my 30 spiritual women friends that I've got on text and my ancestors and all of it. And so for me, resilience has not been an exhausting process and I'm proud to be called resilient, um, but that's because it's it, it means social justice. It means family and friends. It means ancestors. It means culture. It means I have agency. Like to me, resilience means all of that. And I say all of this because I work with families. I work with young people. My impression is they need hope. They need to know when things are really, really bad and when really, really bad things get layered on top of each other, is there hope? And I want to say, heck yes, Mm -hmm. heck yes, there's hope. And the research bears it out. Our ancestors talked about hope. Indigenous scholars are proudly call themselves resilient, that we're still here. Colonizers tried to decimate us, but we are still here. That's my message. I feel like with resilience is there's so many different stories about resilience. And I think there's room for all of our stories But I feel like the story that I tell, I tell purposefully. And it's because I work with a lot of people who are craving hope and who are under layers and layers and layers of risk. And they just need to know their way out is their hope. And I want to be super clear. Absolutely. Yes. There's reason to hope. Absolutely. Yes. And the research bears it out and our ancestors and my experience And there's plenty, plenty of reason to hope. In order to tap into that hope, we have to be resilient, right? It's, um, and we do that in so many levels, whether it's, we're providing that hope as, you know, modeling that for our, our children, how to be resilient and how to overcome adversity, and then passing that on to the next generation. So, so many highlighted how it's, it's not just you have it or not, right? Like the research about resiliency first started. It's more than that. It's so much more than that. So I love how you connected that to your own story. And I love um, that definition you provided for us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. There's a lot of similarities and you were explaining of your definition. And for me, it's very similar, but I think of it kind of like it throughout my life, 
it just changed. It just transformed, you know, maybe in childhood years, it was driven by my natural curiosity and, and definitely strong attachment figures. Young adulthood was being more adventurous, you know, wanting to travel, wanting to see the world and overcoming some of those difficulty, difficult experiences that experienced then. So it was almost like pulling from different areas in different stages of my life. When I became a parent, it was tapping to every single strength that I had. But now the motive was not so much for me. It was for, you know, these two little lives. I like how you highlighted all those different parts of resiliency. It's also nice to reflect on how uh, resilience has been my shield and my so at times it has protected when needing protection and it has helped me to fight um, when there has been you need to fight a battle whether it's standing up to racism whether it's standing up for our children uh, you know how you mentioned your story standing up for those that we love or those those issues that we really care about and also those that don't have a voice that we have so many layers of it and as i look back i think that each time has looked so different the strengths and resiliency and times i surprised myself on how quickly maybe i connected to the ability to heal during the event and maybe sometimes it took a little bit longer and and maybe pulling through that toolbox of like okay i'm gonna try this uh, i know art has helped before right maybe that wasn't what i needed so i'm gonna keep trying this until i feel like i'm i'm taking care of me i'm taking care of what the issue is thank you so much for that definition and i think our our definitions connect somehow absolutely and thank you for sharing your own personal journey with your own resilience and i don't know why but as you're talking about needing different things at different stages. It, what it reminded me of is how our ancestors believed we had spirit helpers mm. and you could be born with a spirit helper, but at different times in your life, you may need different types of help, mm -hmm. different types of medicine. Mm. And so what you described reminded me of that, like our yes. ancestors talked about that. And I know for me, when I went to a shaman, she identified a certain spirit helper that came with me when I was born. But when I was going through my divorce and I went to a shamanic retreat, she paired us up with this retreat setting and we would journey for each other to find spirit helpers. The partner I had at the time was like, okay, what I found for you was a scorpion. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, what <laughs> the heck? And then I realized in the spirit world, you know, scorpions don't have a bad rap. They just mm -hmm. have medicine. So I thought, okay, well, what's what medicine might a, a scorpion have? And I thought, you know what? Scorpions are badass. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, well, maybe the scorpion came and be like, baby, I got you. Yeah. I'm going to need to, you're going to need to be badass right now to get mm -hmm. through this. And so, and so anyway, I love that you framed your experience as you drew from curiosity and adventurousness at different stages of your life to be resilient. And I think our ancestors would say, yeah, that's right. I sent you mm. a scorpion when you needed it. I sent you a dove when you needed it. I sent you, you know, an owl when you needed it. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Love that story. So excited also to, to learn about our different guests and their expertise. I know that I'm excited for the learning part, you know, as we see this season unravel and exploring their narratives of resiliency. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited that when we reach out to ask people like Dr. Salcido and Dr. Soler, 
that they say, yes, I'm so happy to not just share my own story and experience, but also listen and learn and share other people's stories and strategies. So I feel like the more heads we put together, you know, the better, the better will come out of us. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I wanted to share that my intention for the season, and I'm so grateful to you, Xiomara, because when you reached out to me and asked me if I would co-host season two, I was like, yes, but you had me at hello. (laughs) But my intention, honestly, for the season is to have fun always. Always it's to have fun. Uh, What's the point if it's not fun? (laughs) But my intention is really just to share my story. I lived 53 years, so I've got a lot of stories from 53 years of living. I've also read a lot because I'm a research nerd, and that's how I learn. And that's how I cope with my own anxiety is I love to read and learn because knowledge is power. And so my intention is to share my story. So my lived experience things that I've read, things that I've learned through not only my personal life, but my professional life, working with families, everything, everything I've learned from my academic, personal and professional experiences related to resilience, because learning about living and researching resilience has literally saved my life. I'm so grateful. And talking about resilience makes me happy even today. Like the fact that the topic is resilience, talking about thinking about sharing about resilience makes me happy. So my intention is that some parts of my story resonate with listeners and offers hope. So I hope that anybody who's listening, if you relate or resonate with any part of my story or any part of the research that I'm presenting, I hope it resonates for you. I hope it feeds you, inspires you, motivates you. And if you're tired, take a nap. This is your permission, take a nap. And then after your nap, if you feel like being a chingona or a chingon or badass, then do that too. My intention is also, because I'm a co-host and because we have guests, my intention is also to listen and to understand and to connect. So I've got my story about resilience and I'm open to hearing other people's stories and I want to have fun. Let's all have fun. Yes, absolutely. Having fun is the number one. Almost all of them. I want to ditto. (laughs) Those are also my hopes for the season. I look forward to having fun. I look forward to connecting uh, with all our guests, the stories, and just really learning from each other, um, learning from our guests, and having this uh, season just unravel, and and we'll see how it goes. I, I just that's what I love about podcasting is every uh, episode is different and every connection we make is we get something out of it. And I hope you listeners also get something out of um, what we have planned. Um, And we look forward to sharing this season with you listeners and please connect with us on Instagram and Facebook on Cafe Con Emoción podcast. Thank you, Alejandra. Thank you so much.